The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hey, uh, hope that you enjoyed a weekend, uh, an extended weekend of, of hopefully family and friends and getting some of your own holiday tradition started. I know we started one here at the, at the end tonight. We decorated some cookies. Uh, many of you were here, uh, prior. Yeah, looking, looking good. Some of the, some of the holiday cookies, uh, were a little bit deformed. They were kind of like holiday amoebas. Uh, but they tasted good. Uh, nonetheless, so uh, again, as you heard earlier, come back next week, bring a friend. It's a way for us to, uh, to just have a little bit of fun uh, as, a, as a community, see what, how we might loose our creative juices uh, here before finals kicks in, and uh, it's going to be head down uh, all the time. So come and join us for that little tradition. Uh, I know that a, a tradition that, that my family has on Thanksgiving weekend is to... Uh, we go out to my mom's place on the Olympic Peninsula out there in the thriving metropolis of Port Angeles, Washington. And uh, on the way home from Thanksgiving, uh, we always stop. And, and I, take, I take particular pride in the fact that I don't get my Christmas tree off of a lot. I go out and, and I chop it down, or I should say I saw it down. I don't actually swing the axe, though that would be cool. And uh, we go get we go and get a noble fur, and, and once again this year my three year old son was looking really was was really looking forward to it, and we get to the tree farm, and unfortunately Carson is just out cold. I even try to like wake him up, and he is not waking up. So go out, and and part of the tradition is he's in the car, and 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 we we go out there, and my wife, God bless her, she's so great that that she allows me the the opportunity to. Go and find a tree that, that is ginormous. And of course, I always, I always stop back, step back and, and wonder and go, sweetie, there it is. The church family Christmas tree. And she knows, she knows to say, Ryan, that tree wouldn't fit in our front yard. And I get to say back to her in the, in the, the great tradition of Clark W. Griswold, it's not going in our front yard, honey. It's going in our living room. And uh, so, so we got our Christmas tree, and sure enough, uh, we get that noble fur into, into our living room. We get some lights on it. Uh, Carson is now old enough to, to really get into decorating it. It's, it, was, it was really a lot of fun. Tree's looking, tree's looking great. I'm thinking, yes, I'm the first one in the neighborhood to have it right in the front window. Check. Succeeding as a dad, loving it. Okay, so that was, that was, Saturday, that was Saturday night. Uh, you know, and, and we got on Friday night, we decorated on Saturday, and I, I was in church services here on, on uh, Sunday night, and I get back to my desk, and, and I have a, a message from my wife, and the message was just, was just a horrible message, uh, in which she informed me that the Christmas tree fell. Okay, fell, and, and, I mean, this thing has, has 
for me, priceless ornaments on it that, that my, my now beloved uh, deceased grandmother would get me ornaments every year that are hanging on this tree, many of which were, were destroyed in the fall. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Here I am doing this, you know, going out and getting my, my manly, my Christmas tree in a manly fashion, sawing it down, and I can't even get it to stand up in my own my own living room. So a little bit of a bummer. So if you come by the churches uh, to see our Christmas tree, you will see literally strings attached to that tree. But it is stable, for sure. You know, if, if the floor isn't going to hold it, get it to the wall too. So anyway, uh, a tradition that, that is, is a lot of fun for sure. Uh, we are going to, in some ways, begin wrapping up our belief series that uh, we started just a few weeks ago here at the end. And as we do, just want to remind us where we've been this quarter, that we started out by, by looking at this idea that when we, when, we talk about, uh, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about being those who belong to Jesus. We talk about what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means to belong to each other, to belong to a community. And then about the middle of the quarter, we started asking this question, what does it look like to believe in Jesus? And we, and we talked about some of the, some of the, the foundational tenets of, of what the Christian faith is, is founded on. That being, as Janie shared about three weeks ago, first and foremost about Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about, about the Holy Spirit and about how we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, you heard a great talk uh, from, from Kelly Toma out of Acts 3, where Peter's talking about the, the God that has redeemed all, th- all things. And tonight, uh, we want to start wrapping this up. And, and to do that, I want to restate the goal of this series is to, is to help all of us, to help you better grasp what it is that we as people seeking after and following Jesus really believe. And, and a secondary goal is to help you better articulate that belief, to, be, to simply become more familiar with it. Some of you have seen, I, I think it's at Starbucks, that there's, there's this, uh, this little poster that says, that says, familiarity breeds contentment. You know, many of you who go and get a coffee, you, you get the same thing over and over. You get to speak the same thing. You get to hear the same thing over. Uh, I'll, t- I'll have uh, one uh, a tall caramel sauce Americano. The person looks back at you and says, one tall caramel sauce Americano. Then she turns to another person and says, one tall caramel sauce Americano. Then one more time you get to hear, I've got one tall caramel sauce Americano for Ryan. Okay, that's been my drink for a long time. If you ever want to treat me, tall caramel sauce Americano is always in season with this one. Okay, so, but, but when you, when we talk about, about something that, that we're familiar with, uh, it, perhaps it helps us understand and expect something out of that a little bit more. So, for, for many of you sitting here, uh, talking about what we believe, some of the foundational things, uh, could sound like, like a broken record. But my hope is that it is a way for you to become more familiar with it and thus like it that much more. Be that much more content with it, especially as we get into the Christmas season. I think I have this, this crazy dream that, that if we focus in on this the next couple of weeks, in this season in the church calendar that we're in called, called Advent, these weeks leading up to Christmas, that you would simply enjoy and embrace that more because we're more familiar with what this, what this Jesus thing is actually about, what the gospel of Jesus is all about. So I, 
as we begin wrapping up the Believe series, I want to, to show you something that we started with, because I think in a lot of ways it's going to come full circle tonight. So, so take a look at this video that if you were here four weeks ago, it's going to be familiar, but it really introduces the thought that I want us to get after tonight. Take a look at this. That is the question. Where do you put your trust? Because to believe, to believe is to trust. And so we, we want to, what we're trying to do tonight is come full circle in asking the question, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to trust that God is alive and makes a difference in our lives and in the world in such a way that it gives us a real hope beyond the circumstances that we can see? Let's pray together as we get started. Lord, help us understand a little bit more. Help us hear your gospel afresh once again. And Lord, help us... uh, Lord, we simply confess um, that we believe. Help our unbelief uh, as we we come together tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, here's what I want to do. Some of you that are familiar with the, the NFL highlights on ESPN, if you're watching uh, Monday Night Football last night, uh, you will see Chris Berman at halftime often does the fastest three minutes in sports, or the fastest three minutes in football, he calls it. What I want to do is going to be more like the fastest, I don't know, six minutes in in the Bible. The fastest six minutes in, in biblical theology. And I want to tell you what the Bible is all about in, in, the, next, in the next few minutes. And uh, to do that, uh, many of you received a little bookmark on the way in that has some blanks. And that's going to that's gonna serve as, as a bit of our outline of what we're working with. And then we're going to return to this question of belief. Um, Becky told me that probably not everybody got bookmarks on the way in. We're going to make some more, and they'll be on the back table after if you're interested in, in picking that up. So, you ready for this? Let me tell you what the Bible is all about, and then we're going to talk about what it means to believe that before we, we celebrate together by coming uh, to this table. Okay. Uh, a predecessor of mine in this job, a guy named Steve Hayner, who, who is now the president of Columbia Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, says that, that really what the, the Bible is all about is this. He says, he says it's a love story where people constantly give up on God, but God never gives up on his people. That's Steve Hayner's succinct way of talking about what... What the Bible is really all about. A love story where people give up on God, but God never gives up on them. And there's really four movements of this, this, this love story that's comprised in the 66 books of the Bible that I want to walk us through tonight. The first is this, and it's the first blank on that bookmark that, that you have, is that we are created good. That God has created us Good. He's created the world good. Okay, this is the very beginning of the Bible. If you read it, you, you see that, that God creates and he says it's good. He creates more stuff and he says it's good. He creates more stuff and he says it's good. He, he creates people and he says it is very good. In fact, the only time he says that it's not good is when he sees that man is alone. Okay? But, but together in, is, is that, is that, 
he creates humans, male and female, he created them, and it is what he says, what's reported in scripture is very good. It says that, that we are created in the image of God. So what does it mean to believe that we are created in the image of God? In short, it means that we first have to trust that it's true that we are created good. And for a lot of us, that means that we have to stop comparing ourselves. Start, start, stop looking at, at everybody else to find out if we're good and trust that God has created us good. This is something that, that I confront. I'm going to let you into my bathroom tonight, okay? And, and this is, this is, this is vulnerable for me to share, but, but it, it's an honest reflection that there are times that as I'm, you know, as I'm getting ready for my day, that I'm putting shaving cream on my face, that I would love to, to tell you that it's easy for me to look in that mirror and go, man, I really like what I see. Most of the time I stand there putting, putting on, you know, rubbing, rubbing shaving cream on my face going, man, I just, is, is really, is that the best I can do? Lord, is this the best that you can do? This, is, this can be a really hard thing for me to embrace. In my better moments, and I hope in our better moments, we are able to remember, no, God has created us good. So let us stop trying to use any other metric to see if, if we are, are good. Stop comparing as we look in the mirror. I need to do it. My guess is there's many in this room that need to do that as well. Look in that mirror and see God's handiwork. God has not given up on you. It's a love story. God loves you and has created you good. B. Now you might be going, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about the gospel here, right? And number two is that we are damaged by evil. Now we have to deal, if we're going to talk about the gospel and for it to be real, sometimes you have to deal with the bad news if you're really going to understand the good news. So part of the biblical narrative, you cannot avoid it, is that evil is real. It's evil in the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, it's it's. It's a witness to in the Old Testament. It, it's witness to in the New Testament. There is, um, there is an enemy. Revelation says there is a beast. There is this war that's going on. I don't, now, now, I could spend a lot of time, we could do a, a whole series talking about the problem of evil. And I'm not even going to stand up here and try to explain to you why there is such thing. But I don't think I have to convince anybody in here that evil is a real thing. It is something that we deal with. All you have to do is look at the headlines. There's war. There's disease. There's famine. And I know for many in this room, even closer to home, you have dealt with issues like abuse. Physically. Emotionally. Perhaps spiritually. Perhaps you've dealt with the loss of, of, a, of a family member or, or another loved one. You don't need to be convinced that there is evil in the world. That there are these powers and these, these principalities. The, the, one of the, the primary um, narratives in the Old Testament has to do with, with imprisonment, where people are, are shackled, they're, they're held down. That's the presence of evil in the world. What does it mean for us to be, to be real about, about the fact that there is this evil? 
And the first thing is, is simply this, that we, we have to deal with it. If you are, are in here tonight a victim, what do, you, what do you do with this? And what I want to tell you that what you do is you groan. You say, that sucks. That's evil. And it's happened. You don't have to pretend like it didn't happen. One of the things that Christians have been guilty of throughout the ages is, is sometimes uh, putting on rose-colored glasses and pretending like evil isn't there. No, evil is there. And perhaps you have been victimized and you need to sit here tonight and go, it's true and that sucks. And that's a righteous place to be. But there's also some that, that sit in here tonight that, that you need to realize that sometimes you too choose evil. This is part of the story that we're already talking about, right? That people give up on God, but God does not give up on them. And sometimes it is us choosing evil that is in participating in this that is precisely the problem. Whimsically speaking, I was talking with uh, with this guy trying to, to get him to go on our, our uh, spring break trip uh, to the Dominican Republic a few weeks ago. And I, I, I kind of chuckled when... You know, he, he's been considering other plans and he looks at me and he goes, well, Ryan, I guess the question that I have to answer is, will I choose good or will I choose evil? <laughs> he didn't do the finger thing, but I thought that would be a nice effect. We sometimes choose evil. And the, and the problem with, with some, sometimes how we either choose or give in to evil is that it reduces us to something beyond the total image of God. What am I talking, talking about? If you, if you find yourself being reduced to, to merely, some, merely something, you, you are, are reducing yourself to merely being somebody's girlfriend. You are reducing yourself to merely being somebody's son or daughter. When, when really there is so much more to you. What evil does is reduce us. It reduces you to the to the, the least common denominator, and often what that evil does is rob somebody of their humanity. Many in, in here believe evil and 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 somehow thinks that somehow think that evil has the trump card, that evil gets the last word, and you find yourself sitting here going, "Yep, Ryan, I know that that we are damaged by evil, that we live in a fallen world, and there isn't anything that we can do about it." Tonight is an opportunity to see that there is hope past that apathy. And it forces us to look at ourselves. How have we given up on God? Even as God never gives up on us, how are we tempted to give up on God? Next. Jesus rescues and restores us. We are redeemed people in Jesus. This is not merely a New Testament paradigm. In the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah can't have children, but God intercedes and they do. Also in the book of Genesis, there's a brother named Joseph who his brothers uh, act, act in an evil way and sell him into slavery. But God redeems that situation and actually rescues that, the rest of their family through that act. He uses it for good. 
We see in the New Testament, over and over, Jesus uh, giving sight to the blind. He, he allows those who are deaf to hear. He, he heals lepers. Over and over, one of the themes that we see throughout Scripture is this idea of rescue and redemption. Uh, the scholar N.T. Wright says, says that Jesus is God's rescue mission of the world. And honestly, I have not heard a better eight-sentence encapsulation, encapsulation of the gospel than that. Jesus is God's rescue mission to the world. See, Jesus is the proof that this, this evil that we see in the world does not get the last word. So what does it mean to believe that we are rescued and restored and redeemed? Well, it means just that, that evil doesn't have the last word. It means that there is something better for this world than what we see in the headlines. It means that you can be well. That you can be healed. Toma did a great job of talking about this in in her talk last week. And, and it occurs to me that there might be people coming in here tonight who, who have secrets that they have never told anyone for fear of just being totally ashamed that they would be found out. That that would somehow ruin other people's perception of them. You are rescued and redeemed. Perhaps there would have been a time to be scared of that, but because of Jesus... I'm here to tell you there's no fear. Share the secret so that you may see that God has redeemed and restored way more than you think. Trust that we are redeemed. And finally, we participate. We don't just receive this rescue and redemption. We then get to participate in it. In, in it, the Holy Spirit has come and now uh, invites us into the, the process of, of finishing what God has started until God comes, until Jesus comes again. What does it mean to believe this? To believe that the Spirit is in us and moves us. It means that we have a call in our life and that it's not just for us. This good news is not just for us. It is for the whole world. It's not just for a chosen race. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is good news for everyone. We participate in helping people know that this is the gospel. It moves us. So when we, when we put this together, when we think about this story of a God that never gives up on, on his people, we think about a God that created the world good and even in the midst of evil has restored and redeemed and rescued us and now invites us to participate. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. God never, ever, ever gives up on you. God never gives up on anyone. And that's what I'm calling you to believe tonight. What does it mean to believe? 
in a series on belief, we, we, we need to unpack this a little bit. When we say, I believe, what does it really mean? Now, this phrase in and of itself has several meanings. It starts like this, right? Where, where it's, it, it starts out as, as more kind of, kind of an uncertainty. You know, where you, you say somebody to, to somebody tonight, uh, hey, is Taco Tuesday legend happening over at the inn? And they're like, uh, I, I believe it, it, I believe it is. You know, where, where you can sense the tentativeness and the uncertainty there. Now, now, when you say, I, I believe that something is happening and, and, and it's there, I actually don't want to diminish that. I actually think that that's a valuable, valuable starting place. So, so for somebody that would, you know, that starts in this place, particularly when it comes to talking about the Christian faith, that's not a bad place to be. But it's, it's also not a, a place to stop either. So, it, so when we say, I believe that, yeah, I think there's going to be some food at the end tonight. There's uncertainty there. And it moves on to kind of this, what I would call a second level of belief, which is more like an opinion. Okay. I can, where there's, there's evidence to, to back it up, but there's maybe not strong evidence to back it up. I believe that my Christmas tree stand was some, was somehow, uh, blemished. Okay? It was defective. Okay? It wasn't entirely my fault that the Christmas tree in my house fell, fell down. It's, it's, so I believe that, that it's that stand's fault. <laughs> Cause it was, doggone it. Okay? That's an opinion. But then there's another level of belief that I would say begins to move into conviction. Now, this is what this, is what this sounds like. Okay? Think about, um, this is actually classic, like, postmodern Seattle. This is being in your class, and, and the person that says, well, I believe that there is a God. And then two uh, people down from, from him says, oh, well, I believe that there is not a God. And then the person right in between says, well, I don't believe that it can be known whether there is or is not a God. Okay, that each one of those people is speaking out of a place of conviction where they're saying, they're saying this, but, but, and this is the way that I observe Seattle, that none of those people would be willing to stake their life on it. They're, the way that they interact with this is more of a, well, you know, that works for them and I'm going to respect what they believe. But I don't believe that. Okay? Uh, certainly, I have, I have been one of those types of, of, of people before. Oh, they can believe that, but that's not what I believe. Okay? That's one level of conviction where you say, this is, I'm going to claim this, but I'm not going to make anybody else do that. And, you know, what works for you works for you. What we're getting to tonight is this next level of belief that is a conviction that says trust. What am I talking about here? Notice that in each level of what we've talked about believe, I believe that there will be cookies at the end. I believe that my Christmas tree stand is defective. I believe that there is a God. When we talk about trust, what we're talking about is believing in something. We talk about believing in someone. You see, what, we're, what, we're, what I'm trying to say is your belief has an object. It has something tangible. 
It has something real. Something that you can trust. That's belief in something. Over uh, Thanksgiving, we were out at my, my mom's place, as I shared, and, and my three-year-old son is rather tentative uh, most of the time. He's not by any means a daredevil. And my mom, right on the side of my mom's house is this, this kind of stair-step type of retaining wall. And, and Carson gets up on, on this wall at one point, and I said, hey, Carson, why don't you jump? And, and he's like, no, no, I don't want to jump. You know, and it's, he's only about this, this high up at this point. So I put him down on basically a step and I'm like, all right, jump from there. And he, he kind of jumps and then we get up on the next one and, and he jumps down to the, uh, the other stair and he's, he's starting to get the hang of it. And then he takes a bigger jump and then he walks up another step and, and he jumps and he's, and he's kind of, he's starting to get, he's starting to get fired up about this little bit. He goes up to the, um, the next one, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, are you ready to do the big jump? And he's like, no, I'm not ready. I, I don't want to do that. Okay? And I'm like, come on, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And he's, you know, and, and he's, he's kind of inching, inching closer. And at first, he just kind of, you know, he just kind of lets himself go. It's like a trust fall. And he, and he falls into my arms. And, and, and then I, you know, I kind of take him down and then toss him back into the air. And then, and then he goes, he, and he, when I finish that, he goes, he goes, do it again. And so then he walks back up to the top of this little deal. And, and this time, this time not, he didn't just kind of fall into my arms. He actually kind of jumped. I did the same thing. And then he's, he's laughing. He says, do it again. Okay. So then he, he walks up and, and this time, you know, he's, he's like pushing off, you know, like he's, you know, like he's doing a stage dive or something. Okay. That I, it was amazing to watch Carson go from this sense of, of being tentative to, you know, when he first, when he first took that, that first jump, it was kind of like, okay, this is cool. And then he got to this place of, of after that trust fall, he's going, okay, there is something certain that I can count on here. I can trust on dad to catch me. It then became, became active that he was the one running back up to the top of the, of the wall and then, you know, stepping off, jumping into my arms. And what started as tentative and profoundly mysterious, perhaps uncertain, was turned to joy. And that's what I hope that we can, when we think about what it means to believe and what it means to grow in trust, that we we find ourselves in this place where belief does in fact become trust. And trust becomes obedience. Obedience becomes transformation. And transformation becomes joy. Going from tentative to do it again. Do it again. We believe in something that invites us to have a belief that trusts in Jesus. A Jesus that rescues and redeems. I want to invite us into Advent, into the, the Christmas season, by reading what I think could be argued as one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture, one that you will come back to over and over again throughout your life. Uh, to remind you of what this story is all about. Hear these words from John 1, the first 14 verses. It just says this. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came to serve as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Our faith has an object. We trust in the one who comes full of grace. We give up on God, but God never gives up on us. That's grace. And it's true because it never ceases. It stands up for all time. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. So what does this look like? Believing means trusting. And it means not just trusting with your spiritual life. It means trusting with every aspect of who you are. For the ways that we can compartmentalize kind of our our careers and our academic life and our romance, what trust What belief that is trust in Jesus looks like is saying, I'm going to jump in with all that. Trusting that God will not give up. And that is what we are reminded of at this table. That not only did Jesus come as a child, but he made the ultimate sacrifice. Saying there is no distance that you can go that I can't go with you. Not even death can separate you from my love. You may give up on me, but I will never, ever give up on you. For I have created you good. Evil cannot win because I will rescue and restore you. I will call you my own and I will give you purpose to your life. For it was on the night that he was betrayed that our Lord was with friends. He took bread, broke said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Take and drink to remember that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus, who came to us as a child at Christmas. May we trust him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for making your home among us. Lord, for revealing yourself and giving us a vision of of who we believe in. 
Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, for showing us what grace and truth look like. So, Lord, help us to believe even more as we come to this table uh, tonight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.